Let's go to Acts chapter 3 tonight. We continue our series through the book of Acts. I'm attempting to use this to show a church in action. In chapter 1, you'll remember the followers of Jesus were gathered together in Jerusalem in one accord, waiting to be endued with power from on high. And then in chapter 2, they were baptized with the Holy Ghost on Pentecost. They were empowered to speak in different languages to those devout followers of Judaism who had been gathered out from every nation. Those that were beholding this were confounded. They were amazed that these unlearned Galileans had the ability to speak fluently in these other languages. And they couldn't believe what was taking place. The Bible says they marveled. And from that group, 3,000 were saved and baptized and added to the church. And that'd be a pretty good day at church, amen. Over the last two weeks in chapter 3, we have been considering this man who was born a crippled man. He never walked in his life. But he was miraculously healed at the hands of Peter and John. But it was through the power of Christ's name. The question is often pondered, why were they enabled to have these sign gifts? And yet we don't see this kind of thing today. The answer is really quite simple. I want to read you one passage. Mark 16 and verse 20. And I believe this particular section of Mark is being left out of new Bibles. But it says this, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So why these sign gifts back then? Because they were being used to confirm the word of God. In taking away the old covenant and establishing the new covenant, which was confirmed in Christ when He gave His life upon the cross, God chose to use these miracles to confirm His Word and plant the early church. Once the new covenant was firmly established, and once the Scriptures were penned, once the New Testament church was deeply rooted, there is no longer a reason for these signed gifts. The Word has been confirmed. Does that make sense? We're going to begin this morning, or (laughs) Lord help me, Tonight, my body already knows it's time for popcorn, so this is not good. But I do like that it's lighter later. Amen. Um, You know, now that I've totally ruined the flow of the service, um, happy birthday, Brother Lund. Founding member, 83 years old today, been with us, well, his wife too, but. Over 42 years as a church, been here the whole time. What a blessing, amen. We love you, brother, amen. We don't recognize anybody else's birthday, amen. Not even Russ Mack. Boy, he's giving me the stink eye. I wish I could tell you the joke he told me this morning. What's that, brother? Yeah, that's a fact. He told the funniest joke this morning. Mike, I probably shouldn't tell it. Russ is saying no. What do you think? 
<laughs> yeah, that's probably where I should go. It's gnawing at me now. Might as well just tell it. You promise not to hold this against me. What's that? Yeah, well, we'll get kicked off of Meta, Facebook, whatever it is now. Um, so I make it a habit to check the news every morning because I know somebody's going to come in and say, did you see? And Russ Mack came in and said, did you see that the president was in the hospital? And I said, uh, no. Um, I said, I already checked. I know this isn't true. He's like, well, it just, it just now hit the airwaves. And I said, uh, oh. He said, yeah, he's in the hospital because he couldn't stop Putin. <laughs> That's terrible. If it wasn't so serious, I'd laugh. Thank you, Brother Mac, for that. Appreciate that. Um. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 3. Um. <laughs> All right, with that out of our system. Um, <laughs> let's read verses 1. All right, hold on. Or else I'll have to edit the entire podcast. Let me... It's strange on the podcast, like when I edit it and you hear all this laughing and I go into something serious, but I cut out every reason why people were laughing. So it's like, take your Bibles. Ha, 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 ha. Actually, you know. <laughs> um, so I do my best, but... This is why you got to catch it on the live stream. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3. Let's begin tonight by reading verses 1 through 11 again this week. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Do you know it's okay to praise the Lord? Yeah, man. Yep, hey man. All right. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John... All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now, our first week in this chapter, we considered several thoughts, but the main emphasis was how this beggar's true need wasn't what he was asking for. There was a greater need here. He was asking for money, but he needed Christ. And a lot of times when we're ministering to others, we need to understand that what they perceive as a need is not really the root need. It's only a symptom of a, of a deeper problem. Um, for example, a drug addict may admit they need rehabilitation 
because they do have a desire to live clean. But what they really need is Christ and His power in order to be successful in being clean. Um, This is why the world's rehab centers aren't that successful. They're trying to train people to overcome addiction through the power of their flesh. And that's never going to work. Your flesh will eventually fail you. Your flesh is weak and it's good for nothing. What they really need is Christ. So that they can walk in the Spirit and experience true victory and liberty in Christ. And it's what we all need no matter the battle that we're facing in life. We, We need the Lord. And so Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This man's true need wasn't his temporal provision, but he needed Christ. And all of God's children can share, and we are commanded to share Jesus Christ to the lost. The same is true for the backslider that is in Christ. They see a need without seeing Christ as their primary need. People want better marriages, better children, victory over sin. They want wisdom, but they're not even doing the basics that God says to do. Ken, I'm glad you're here this morning. You're like, you were like the only one amen. And so um, apparently we're going to continue that again tonight. And, and so people just aren't even doing the basics of walking with God. What they want is a seminar, but really what they need is a close relationship with Christ. Because apart from Christ, there is no victory. And then last week we considered what real ministry looks like. At the beginning of verse 7, Peter took this man by the right hand and lifted him up. And so we need to connect with sinners by stretching out a hand to them, be moved with compassion and into action. We need to exert some energy and invest in them by at least trying to lift them up. And remember, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Amen. And so this is true ministry. Now, I want to keep drawing from this account tonight by considering this lame man in contrast to this gate which is called beautiful. The setting in our account is obviously the temple, and the location at the temple is what became known as the beautiful gate, so-called because it was beautiful. <laughs> it's a tough crowd tonight, man. Was it the joke? I mean, did I already set the bar too high? Um, it was called beautiful because it was made of fine, luxurious Corinthian brass. And it was really a sight to see. I mentioned before, the gates were 75 feet high. They opened up 60 feet wide. And it's such a sight to see. History records people would come from afar, in part, just to see this gate. It faced towards the east, toward the east, towards the Mount of Olives. And it was either the first gate you entered into when you came to the temple, or it was the second gate that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women. I've said all this in a previous message, so I'm going to go quick. But can you imagine just how brightly this gate would have shined when the light, the sunlight would have hit it, when the sun's coming up or as it began going a little bit higher, whatever the case, where it was located. But it was a sight to see. And in contrast to this costly, beautiful gate is this down-and-out crippled man. He had to be carried there every day in hopes of receiving a monetary gift. There's nothing flashy about this guy. He wasn't a sight to see. The majority would just pass right by him. And what we see in this account is the contrast between religion and true Christianity. This man, he is in a helpless condition. He couldn't save himself, and he did not need their corrupted form of religious Judaism, which only left somebody in the same condition day after day 
after day, but he needed Christ. Now, the temple was a very ornate complex. The first temple was as well. This temple, which was rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity, it was 40 and 6 years in the making altogether when you start adding Herod the Great's work that he did to it. And by the way, he was not great, but that's what we call him. We call him that because he had these great building projects. And one of those was the temple. He made all these additions. He made these fortifications to the temple, and it really became a masterpiece of the first century. In fact, when the Romans would surround Jerusalem in 66 A.D., as Jesus had said would happen, the Romans had hoped that they could preserve that temple. I mean, it was something. And General Titus, he took over operations from his dad in A.D. 69, when his dad became the Caesar. And in A.D. 70, the city and the temple would be destroyed, but Josephus, the historian, recorded how it was Titus's desire to save this temple Um, But because it was being used as a military fortress by the zealots, it had to be destroyed. So here's this sinner. He's being brought to this magnificent religious masterpiece in Jerusalem every day because he had a need, but nothing ever changed. He showed up spiritually destitute, and he left spiritually destitute every day. And we still see the contrast between religion and helpless sinners being played out in our world today. The religions of this world have their beautiful cathedrals and temples, but they offer no hope to the lost. People attend day after day, but they leave in the same condition in which they showed up. We find these costly Catholic cathedrals full of their idols and ornate trimmings and trappings, and they offer no hope. In some cases, in places like Mexico, they have bled towns dry of any of their resources. And in the midst of a very poor town and people, there is this beautiful cathedral. It's a beautiful sight. It draws people. But that's all it does. There are costly Orthodox temples in Europe and Russia. They don't preach the gospel. There are lavish temples and shrines in Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam, but they offer no eternal hope. There are extravagant Mormon temples, but they teach a false Christ. And it's been this way down through history. There were massive Mayan temples, impressive temples dedicated to the Greek gods, the great pyramids of Egypt, which were religious in nature. And all of these religions offer a beautiful place to worship, but they leave the person who attends in the same condition in which they arrived. And daily attendance is doing nothing to quicken their spirits. They arrive lost and they leave lost. They arrive empty and they leave empty. They arrive spiritually crippled and they leave spiritually crippled. Acts chapter 17 verses 23 through 29, it says this, Paul, he's in Athens. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill And said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, listen to this now, dwelleth not in temples made with hands." 
Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's devices. Paul is letting us know it does not matter how elaborate the temple is. It doesn't matter how beautiful a shrine or a monastery is or even a church house. God does not dwell in buildings made with hands. It doesn't matter how well carved, how ornate, how much gold or silver is put into it. It will never change the fact it is just a building. Thank God for our building to meet in. Seriously, thank God. It's paid off. It's, it's meeting a need. I know it's not the fanciest building in town. I don't know if y'all figured that out yet. But we are doing the best we can with what God has blessed us with. And I believe the church house ought to be presentable. But understand also, there is nothing special about 1515 Space Avenue if nothing is happening here. It's just a building. It's a building made with hands. In John chapter 4, Jesus had gone to the woman in the, uh, who was at the well, as we call her. And in verses 20 through 24, it's, um, he's having a conversation with this woman. And she begins by saying, with this particular segment, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship when neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father, ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if God doesn't dwell in this mountain or in this city, if He's not dwelling in buildings, where does He dwell? Within His people. We are now called the temple of God. First, let me just read you the passages in case you don't believe me. First <laughs> Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? First Corinthians 6.19 and 20 what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 2 Corinthians six sixteen. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And finally, 1 Peter 2.5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, this physical temporal meeting place that we are blessed to have, it's only profitable when Spirit-filled believers are gathered together in it. Have you ever been to dead church? It's miserable. It's terrible. There's no life. There's no spirit. It's Ichabod. The glory has departed. The people are dead. The music is dead. The preaching is dead. The response is dead. I don't even know why they meet. And people can attend all they want. But they'll always leave in the same condition they arrived. They'll never leave any better than when they showed up. The lamp has gone out. The Lord has removed their candlestick out of His place. And the only reason they continued to attend is out of religious obligation. When Eli was the priest in 1 Samuel 3.3, we read, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. The oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, ran out. It wasn't being tended to any longer. And this is what happens to a church when it is no longer uh, Spirit-filled. When the Spirit is no longer present, a church will dry up and its light will go out. There's no presence of God any longer. What's going to make Liberty Baptist Tabernacle a blessed church? It won't be from having the greatest building in town. But it'll be because the Spirit of God is upon His people. I understand we need a new building. That's where you make me feel better about the vision, amen. Uh, I understand we need a new building. Yeah, preacher, we're behind you. Uh, But it isn't so we can have a fancier presentation. It isn't so we can be more religious in our trappings. But I would say, praise God, we need a new building because the Spirit of God is upon us. We need a new building because the gates of hell can't prevail against this church. The fact remains, the first century church never had a church building to call their own. Not here in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? They never had a building. And yet, they had great power with God in favor with the people. They made an impact without a building. They didn't have pews. They didn't have a choir loft. They didn't have a baptistry built into the the church so we can make a public profession inside. All right, it's a little pet peeve of mine, but I'm rolling with it, okay? Uh, listen, they didn't have a parking lot. I'm so ready for a new parking lot. Okay. But listen, they worship God. They didn't have any of this, and yet they got a hold of God. And God was blessing them greatly. But you see, people in Jerusalem and in Judaism got hung up on the building. You know, people like having religiosity. They, they like being a part of something that's fancy. People like being a part of something that's posh. 
Amen. They, they want to feel like they're in Beverly Hills, so they carry their chihuahua around their little pocketbook. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Sunday nights, I get out of control. Let's focus. Now, it, it's been too many years now that I, I am forgetting some of the finer details, but my dad pastored a church that when he took it over, it needed some repair. And so they began to put some much-needed work into this building as they were able. Long story short, my dad uh, and my mom, they, they moved down to Florida, I believe, at, at this particular time. And Adrian's dad, my wife's dad, actually took over that church. And I, it was during his time that the convention that this church was under, it started to deviate drastically from the Word of God. And so... Doug went before the people and he said, we, we've got to break away from this and I'll be your pastor. We, let's just be independent. We don't need to be under a convention. Somebody say amen right there. Yeah. And so went before them to, to pitch the idea that we need to break away from this convention and just be on our own. But the people actually chose their building over doing what was right because they had put so much work into the building. Are you hearing me? And they knew if, if we leave this convention, they're going to retain the rights to the building and we're going to lose everything we put into this building. I mean, they got hung up on this thing. It really was pitiful to watch. Thankfully, Adrian's dad resigned the church and had to move on. Imagine a people putting a building over God. It happens. I've seen it here. Well, your church is running too large for that building. You're actually going to go somewhere that's dead because you don't want to squeeze in another seat or two? What a shame. What a shame. And listen, there's people that are putting the fancy building up and saying, well, that's where we're going to attend. When my younger sister got married to her husband, the marriage ceremony was held at his family's home church in Florida. And I think it was a Methodist church. Don't quote me on that. And if you know anything about them, though, they've long departed from the truth. They no longer have a sacredness to the pastorate. But anyway, I think it was his grandmother that showed me on the... How many of you have seen these kind of pews on the side? There's a little plaque on the pew. And it was, it was purchased by so-and-so. And it was either purchased by her husband or her, her dad. I can't remember what the deal was there. Uh, but she was proud of that pew. This is the, the pew that we purchased in this church. And they went to a church because that's what grandma did. That was the tradition. We're going here because look, they bought the pew. I mean, we can't leave the pew. <laughs> Listen, you better choose your church based upon the indwelling of the Spirit and the people. Amen. Not the tradition of your fathers. Amen. Don't get hung up on the building. The church isn't the building. I got to wondering how many here would be offended if we just decided to put up a pole barn big enough to accommodate our growth. I've heard some grumblings from some, you know, well, we, we really like these beans in here. Well, who doesn't? I mean, you know, they're cool. Unless you're a music person. I hear it traps sound. I don't know anything about that stuff. Um, by the way, this, you walk in a building, you know, this was built in the 50s or 60s. This is how they all looked. And, and I know people like that. I love the aesthetics of a traditional church. I really do but it's not about the building. I mean, would you be okay with that? Would it be okay if we had to beautify as we go? 
What's more important to you, the meeting place or the one we're meeting with? We, we're not fulfilling some religious obligation, but we're meeting with the living God. And let's always remember why we're here is to reach people for Christ. Now, back to this man in our text. He's surrounded by religion. He's surrounded by people who view the, beautiful, the, the, the beauty of the temple, the, the beauty of this gate, and they're now viewing the, be- the beauty of the temple over the beauty of the one who is altogether lovely. The beauty of the temple replaced worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The temple had literally become their idol. And this man, he's there every day, but nothing's changing. He's helpless to save himself, and he didn't need some fancy building full of pious people. He didn't need the, hypocrit- the, the, the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. He didn't need blind guides who could only lead the blind into a ditch. He didn't need a religion that would strain at a gnat but swallow a camel. He didn't need a religion which could only make the outside clean, but inside they were still unclean and full of dead men's bones. He didn't need those who would swear by the gold of the temple and miss the God who sanctified the temple. He didn't need those who frequented the house of God, but didn't know the God of the house. This lame man, he's a picture of all of those that are out there and they're dying on the vine of religion. And some of them are dying even in the Baptist religion. Because it's become nothing more than meeting together because that's what good Baptists do. And people are dying. And they desperately need help. And their one true need is never met. They've been blinded by religion. And they're being told, just do better. Get baptized in this particular church. Worship at our temple. Confess to our priest. Do some form of penance. Make this spiritual journey. Be the best you you can be. And all the while, nothing's changing internally. They're the same crippled beggar year after year. They still can't walk on their own. They're being carried along by other religious people. They have no liberty. They've never been set free. They've been offered no real hope in this world for the world to come. Because of what this temple had become, Jesus had forewarned, this temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to be laid even with the ground. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. And that's exactly what happened in 70. And this is what, what Christ does. He destroys Religious strangleholds by bringing sinners into a relationship with Him, which is why we must preach Christ. He uses His people like us to point sinners to Him. He doesn't use fancy, beautiful buildings full of dead people. But He uses people who are alive and filled with the Spirit of God. He uses people like Peter and John and the people who made up the early church. And when you think about it, they weren't any better off financially than this beggar was. He's there asking for gold. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. All three men in this account are in the exact same position monetarily, but look at the difference between them. One sits unfulfilled, surrounded by religion day after day, trapped by it, while Peter and John, who also had nothing, went about enjoying their liberty that they had in Christ, and they were making a difference in the lives of others. We may not have much to look on the outside here, 
We don't have what the religions of this world have when it comes to facilities. But we're certainly blessed to have this late 50s model, amen? We, we are blessed indeed. I know it's an old brick building. We're not going to wow anybody with our looks. We don't have the fanciest building in town, and I'm fine with that. So long as when people of our city are around those of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, they can sense there is something different about those people. So it's not about the outward beauty. It's about whether or not we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. Because that's what spiritually crippled people of this world need. They need the Spirit of God. They don't need more religion. They need someone who's walking with God who can say, I may not have the ability to meet your temporal need, but such as I have, give I thee. And then share the good news of Christ and His free gift of salvation through His blood, which can wash away every sin and stain. Listen, don't offer people a dead religion. Don't offer them the tabernacle that's located at 1515 Space Avenue. And I know that's a lot of the temptation when you're out there witnessing, especially when you're new at it. Uh, Just come to church with us. They don't need a building. They need a Christ. And so we need to offer them the Lord. By all means, invite them to church. Hallelujah. Just like this crippled man was carried to the temple, we're carrying people in. We're we're carrying them in in our buses. We're carrying people in in our cars. We carry ourselves and our family members here. But let's not come in here to enjoy dead religion, which can never change us. Let's make sure that those who are ministering to others, you're pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in the name of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, rise up and walk. It's not in the name of Peter and John, rise up and walk. But it's in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this is what will make a difference. This man who was crippled from birth instantly was healed by the power of Christ. There was a difference made in his life. See, I don't understand what you're talking about with this whole religion relationship stuff. Can you see a difference? Because Christ makes a difference. Let's be a people filled with the Holy Ghost. Those who are determined by the power of God to make a difference for the cause of Christ in the lives of those that are spiritually crippled. And then will be a church in action. Let's pray.